This is the Swamp Scott Library's Librarians by the Sea podcast, where we share our love of a good book with you. I'm your host, Caroline Margolis. Today on the podcast, Janina Majerin and myself interview author Elizabeth DeVere about her book, The Ocean in Winter, which you can pick up at the library. Elizabeth is an absolutely wonderful person to talk to, and we highly recommend her book. I do stress a trigger warning of people affected by death by suicide. If you or anyone you know is suffering from suicidal thoughts or affected by death by suicide, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. Or you can text the crisis text line, text HOME, that's H-O-M-E, to 74174. For one. You can also learn more about death by suicide from the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention website. The link will be in the description. You do not have to go through this alone. And now, on to the podcast. Welcome back, everybody. And today we have with us Elizabeth DeVere with her book, The Ocean in Winter. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi. Thanks nice to see you. Me today. I'm so excited to talk to you. We're excited too. So the book, just to start off with, I think just the best way to describe it is just, it's very atmospheric. It's, I almost want to say haunting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a good not to put too much of a pun on it. <laughs> no, that's exactly that's a perfect place to start. It is. It's uh, haunting is is really where I started the book. Um, I, I wanted to write a ghost story. That's exactly right. And um, and I thought uh, my style tends to be literary fiction, which is. Um, which I think of as a way to like delve into the characters just to sort of get into their real kind of lived experiences and making sure that it's all, you know, fully mined and um, getting into like the core and, and the way that like our lives and our thoughts are complicated where you're just living your life and then something can happen. And all of a sudden you're thinking about something else. And then that kind of makes the next thing that happens, interesting too, because that's on your mind. And so it can kind of be a chain reaction. So that's kind of how I work. Um, But so when I was thinking about writing a ghost story, I knew that I didn't, that I am not equipped to write a a horror story, a Stephen King um, type of thing, or any of those classic ghost stories. But I wanted to get into what is the experience of being haunted and then sort of telling a story about ghosts to shed light on what that might be. So that's kind of how I got started. Picking up on that idea of being haunted because like, so there's that aspect of the book where there is a haunting, then there's a haunting in the sense of being haunted by your past Mm -hmm. because their mother seems to be ever present in everything that they do and how their lives have turned out and what happened to them since they um, lost her. So I find that 
I find that to be like a both literal and a both like, oh, uh, I don't know, is the word metaphorical haunting, you know? Yeah. It affected everybody in the family. Exactly. Yeah. So just for people who don't know the story, it's about three adult sisters whose mother committed suicide when they were children. And uh, but so now you're seeing them, you know, 25, I think, years later and seeing exactly how they have a lot of each of them has each of them dealt with the situation very differently and had very different experiences at the time. And, and of course, have grown up to become very different people. And so when we meet them now, though, none of them has quite, mm, I don't know, uh, met their grief ever in their lives or sort of just really sat with it. I don't even know exactly what the process would be, but, um, uh, but they haven't done it, whatever it is. And so they're at a point where sort of, what happens to them next depends on them sitting face to face with what they've experienced and and kind of reckoning with it, I guess. And you're exactly right that that the mother may not be with them as like an embodied ghost who comes and talks to them, but they are they're literally carrying her with them. There's one line in the book, and I can't remember it exactly, where somebody says um, it is, it's like carrying a suitcase and then you open it up and what's in it is your mother. And it's like, you're just never quite free of it. Right. Right. Yeah, You're, you're spot on. <laughs> um, what was, so what, ins- I know this is a cliched question, but what was the inspiration for this book? So it started with the idea of the ghosts. And then the other thing that inspired it was that my husband and I lived in Arlington, Massachusetts, and we were ready to make a a move. And we really loved coming up to the North Shore area. And um, and we had the most patient um, real estate agent ever. And actually, she not as a gift, but she's just such a patient woman and such a such a love and she ended up being uh, a minor character in the book. And then it was really fun because she came to my book launch in Georgetown in July and she was there and I got to say, yeah, the person that when, the, when this happens to these three girls and the, the oldest daughter comes home and actually finds her mother, I'm going to send them to somebody who's going to take really good care of them. And I to my friend Meg. So that was my thank you. But we were, it's so funny. We were looking for an old house with a working fireplace. And as it happens, that's not easy to find. (laughs) It's like you can have an old house. I mean, if you have, you know, unlimited money, it's anything is easy to find. But we had, you know, slightly limited money. And we just, we just wanted a working fireplace. But a lot of old houses, I guess people kind of let the fireplace go first. And then, you know, even if they fixed everything else up and it's usable, nobody ever got around to fixing the fireplace. So, so we looked and we looked and we looked. And finally, we found this house in Georgetown. Um, and it has five fireplaces and they were all working. Oh. It was like fireplace overkill. And it is, and it is old, as you can see some of the details. Right, right. My messy dining room. Um, So, but here's the thing is we went into a lot of houses 
And we all thought it was really interesting to think about who was living there and who was living there now. And if this is a married couple, why are they setting things up like this? Or are they not married? Are they getting a divorce? Maybe they're selling the house because they're getting a divorce. You know, and then you, sometimes you kind of knew a little bit about their lives from the real estate agents. Um, and then we were also interested in who had lived here before. And there was a, a legend about this house being owned by a sea captain. And we thought that was terribly romantic. And then we found out that actually the whole town had been full of shoemakers and had never been a sea captain. Oh. <laughs> and, and we're inland, like we're like Newburyport is where you would have lived if you were a sea captain. So it's okay. We, we love it anyway. So, <laughs> so that, those were two of my inspirations. And I have been thinking about sisters and what interests me too about sisters is, is the way that you can have, um, you know, a couple of people living in the same house at the same time and they see things totally differently. They might even have had, as is illustrated in this book, very different lived experiences and not shared that with anybody. So nobody really understands that, yeah, they all went through the same thing at the same time in the same house, but what happened next is totally different. So um, so those were a few of my inspirations. I, I think it's interesting how much you focused on houses because Janine and I, we were talking about how each of the houses in the book that they live at sort of reflects where they are in their life or some sort of impediment of their happiness. Like Alex gets landed with a house that she didn't want. Oh, poor Alex. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Colleen, like her house is very nice and it's like her cute little perfect family home but then not to spoil anything and then you know the event happens and and Riley is basically just in like her I think she's in her like friend's apartment or something Mm -hmm. she doesn't Mm -hmm. really have a home right and I wonder if that was sort of intentional you wanted the houses to reflect them yeah absolutely it absolutely was um yeah, each of the characters kind of has a house story that that mirrors their personal story. And the father, too, uh, you know, Alex walks into her childhood home and and maybe I feel like it didn't start while she was away, but maybe she hadn't seen it this way before. It's just full, full, full of stuff. And, and the father has like taken everything out of all the closets and put it on the floor and she can barely walk through it. And, you know, that's also a reflection of, of his kind of state of mind and, and where he is as well. So, yeah, that's spot on. I, I was saying I wrote something about it recently where I said something like every broken character has a broken house that kind of mirrors their soul. Yeah. And like, um, Colleen, Colleen's house with the event, it's kind of given her a chance to rebuild. Mm -hmm. And um, I found it interesting how for Alex, it was um, kind of like, instead of totally moving forward as she had planned, it was remembering the things that she had wanted at one point in time, and now being able to fix this house and kind of get back to 
oh, I remember I wanted this at one point and I gave up on it. And now she's like going through the motions of feeling like, oh, I really kind of really love this house now, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and having an affinity to it. It's like, sorry, (laughs) sorry, you can't run away from your problems anymore. Here's a big old house to legally bind yourself to. And yeah. And I wondered about India was, was India Alex's way of trying to run away? Yeah. hundred percent. Hundred percent. It was her saying, uh, "Nothing that I want has ever borne fruit, and I'm tired of wanting things that I can't have." And uh, I quit. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and have a totally different experience. And I'm, I just, I can't keep running after things that are not feeding me, and so I'm out. Um, and I think she felt that way with her family, you know, of birth, um, feeling like I can't keep taking care of you. I have to take care of myself and really kind of wanted to not cut herself off the way that Riley did, but just start over. And and so, of course, she she gets to India and then she inherits a house very close to her family, surprisingly. And uh, and then she needs to you know, abruptly uh, cancel her adventure and come home. And it turns out to be good timing because the family really is having a lot of problems and they really do need her nearby. And even as you see her make plans, okay, well, this is fine. I'm just going to help everybody now. And then I'm going to fix up the house and I'm going to get the cash and I'm going to leave and I'm probably not going to come back for Christmas, guys. So I'll send some presents and, you know, love you. And then, of course, life life takes a turn that ends up develop delivering her um, closer to something that she had wanted. So, right. so literally, for everything that everybody goes through, I feel like the characters kind of end on a hopeful note. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you? I was wondering if you do you have a sister or sisters. I do. I have a younger sister. I have a younger sister and she, um, she's not like any of the sisters in the book. Uh, she might be a little bit like, a little bit like Colleen, but I would say not completely. Um, and, and then Riley was actually like, like I had these two characters mapped out for a long time before I really got into the story and Riley just popped up. I remember I just kept thinking, uh, maybe there are two sisters or there are two sisters or three sisters. Maybe there's another sister. I didn't, I sort of couldn't figure it out. And then as I started, I was like, well, just dive in and give it and uh, see what happens. And she just popped right up. She was just like Athena coming out of Zeus's. <laughs> like she took over in a really wonderful way. And, uh, and I loved, it was like, oh, here you are. <laughs> Love getting to know her. And she was, um, she was a treat to write too, because, because her life is, is such a mess. Um, but her thoughts, I feel like she's just somebody who has carefully constructed her thoughts to not worry about the ways that her life is a mess. And I think you see that 
she could pull things back in. She could get things organized. There are steps she could take to put them on a better path, but she's, she's not interested. She, it's just all going to work out. Everything's going to be okay because it is, because it has to be, because it's, everything is beautiful and she's just not really, really realizing it. And that was actually a fun project as a writer because it's almost like, like a cake, like, like, the frosting of her thoughts and underneath there's like a cake where where there's salt where there should be sugar you know or something like just something awful (laughs) right (laughs) like completely at odds and uh but which was you know entertaining to write (laughs) was she your favorite sister to write oh she was the easiest she might have been the easiest and um and Colleen was fun too because she is very much She's very much like a kind of a mom that I have gotten to know. My daughter is 10 and I feel like the Colleen type moms who have their beautiful homes and who, you know, their outfits are pulled together and, and their hair is just flawless and the nails are always done and they're always everywhere on time. And they bring the, the really good cupcakes, you know, not just the, just from the mix they're really outstanding beautiful cupcakes and um and but you know and you don't know you you know you see them on Facebook and they're happy anniversarying themselves and happy birthdaying themselves and you don't know what's going on behind their doors because they don't talk about it you don't see it and then you kind of have this impulse to like get jealous you know why does that person always always everything is perfect and then look at my life it's something totally different and I just but it was like with Colleen it was like let's look into what she's not telling the world about her life so she was she was kind of fun to write to just just because of that piece um and then Alex was the hardest to write and she might be the closest to the person that I am and somebody said you know you kind of feel like like, I don't need to walk into a room and explain myself all the time, but I was explaining so little about her. <laughs> People like were having a hard time connecting with her. So it took me a few drafts to kind of dig into the person that she is. But she's definitely, um, she's definitely a caretaker, but she's not a fusser. And she's not, she's just like, okay, what do we need to do? What is happening? How are we going to manage it? How are we going to take care of it? What are the steps we need to take? So, so it was, it was definitely, I would say they were all really neat challenges. Mm-hmm. And it's funny of what you said about Colleen, how like she has that facade of everything's perfect. And, and, and like Riley has that frosting over everything. Colleen, I felt like had that a little bit too. Like she had that veneer of everything's going to be fine. We're going to get back together. Things are going to be great. And then the event happens. And, um, I felt like that was the moment that everything just kind of fell down and, sh- and she had no more illusions anymore. Yeah, like, that's exactly this right. This is exactly what this is happening. This is, you know, everything that I thought it was going to be and how it's going to turn out completely gone. And if she was just kind of, I felt stripped bare at that point. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, it's like, take everything you thought you had, everything organized, 
and then it's not really so organized and then bing bang boom you're by yourself in the middle of winter on Plum Island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Medicating yourself with trips to TJ Maxx. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't we all do that at some point? <laughs> we do. We do. <laughs> there is a scene later on in the book with um, Nate. It was Nate, right? Mm-hmm. Nate and Riley. And he's telling her all these things that she can do. You can fix this. You can turn this around. You know, all you have to do is A, B, and C, and everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be great. And um, I just like was reading that and I was thinking the same way as Riley. Like, no, it's not. That's not how it's going to turn out. And I like that you didn't shy away from the harsh reality of what Riley was thinking and feeling because so often, you know, you find somebody in that predicament and everybody tells them, this is what you have to do to turn it around. And why can't you just do it? And it's going to be so easy and I can help you. And they shed this complete, like they make you feel hopeful or they, they think that it's not as bad as it seems it can be turned around. And, but it was like refreshing to have that, to have that harsh reality that for some people, it's not that way. It's not, it's not easy. And they know that they just don't have the willpower to do it. They don't have the strength to do it. And I really appreciated that. And it, I think, I think Riley was just very near and dear to my heart. And I just, I just loved her. And like, at the end of the book, I was like, like I knew what happened and I kept waiting for it. But by the end, I was like ugly crying because it was just like, oh my God. It's like, it was, it was a very bittersweet kind of end to everything. And um, yeah, it was like, it stayed with me for a while that the what happened with Riley it stayed with me for a very long time you just wanted to hold her and be like we're gonna get you the best therapist (laughs) right (laughs) we can do this we can do this oh my goodness I know so just for some of your listeners who might not know just to let them know so Riley is the youngest sister and she but she's 27 I think And she's a fashion model living in New York. And she has many, many, many um, issues, including a drug addiction. And uh, she has decided to cut herself off from her family. And her the middle sister, Colleen, hires a private detective, and that's Nate, uh, to try to find um, Riley. They they know she's not dead. They know she's working, and but she just won't have anything to do with the family. And Nate does find Riley. And then he, um, I, I can't, I think she kind of catches him a couple of times. And then, and then they just end up walking around New York at night and talking. And, uh, and he says he knows some of the situation and he offers up that there are solutions, that there are ways out of this, but she needs to make some big decisions. And you're right. She just is not up for that. 
you know, I think she's, she's just kind of, yeah, she's a little broken bird, broken soul. And um, so, so I think I should stop talking there. (laughs) Do you feel like if it was Colleen instead of Nate walking around talking with her, things could have been different or was that? No, no, no. There's a moment in the book where there's a Colleen's daughter remembers a Thanksgiving a few years ago when they had been expecting Riley to join them. And, and Riley never showed up. And the family thought that she had just never made it to home to Massachusetts. Uh, and then they find out that she did come home and she did come to the house and she actually climbed into the window of Colleen's daughter and talked to her and then left. And, um, and, and so why? Why did she do that? Uh, I mean, there's, again, there's a reason why she did that. But my thinking was, if she could have at that moment walked through the front door and told her family what was going on, I think the family could have, I think you would have had a better chance that they could have rallied around her and um, talked about everything and maybe been gotten on the road to some kind of healing. But she just couldn't. She simply couldn't make herself take those steps. So um, I kind of felt like, yeah, short of that, that was the moment. That was the do or die moment for Mm -hmm. her. Yeah, it is sad. But I don't I don't think that if the family I feel like if the family had found her, it just would have been delaying. I don't think anything would have changed. Right. And it's really it really is on Riley it's really not even all on Riley to fix the family's trauma. Uh, I mean, the dad could have addressed things, Absolutely. you know, even as adults, like you can address things later on, bring, it's not to say that it's anyone's fault, but it's sort of a family together. We're not going to talk about it. It's hard, you know, what I've learned, what I've learned since the book has come out about, about um, the grief that comes with suicide is so, uh, so specifically uh, complicated compared to any other grief. And I don't think I really thought about this the same way um, since, you know, talking to people after I published the book. Um, the grief that comes with the loss of a family member from suicide, you just can't get away from feeling like it was preventable in a way that, you know, a, a, an accident or an illness um, is, is out of our hands. And we feel like uh, suicide is in our hands, that it is a choice, just like going to the grocery store is a choice, um, you know, or like having a cup of coffee is a choice. And, and so then we say, well, why did they make this choice? Did I do something? Um, And if it isn't me, then just why? Why were they like this? Why did they do this? And, um, you know, and on and on and on with the levels of complexity. And I think that that makes it, it more, um, you know, I just feel strongly that people going through that kind of grief uh, need to get 
to, to talk to a professional, to talk about all the different kind of themes that, that it has and to understand that um, there are a lot of reasons. Nobody commits suicide for just one reason. It's always many, many, many things. And, and when you try to understand, you can probably understand and identify some of them and many of them, you just will never know. And in this book, the sisters really struggled their whole lives with the fact that they have no idea why their mother took her life. Um, and there was no note. And they sort of suddenly realized that they didn't know anything about her life or what her family was like or anything. And, um, and in, in this book, you do get a light shown on some of the sources of her of her issues. And, and I don't even think that's realistic. I mean, I think many times people lose loved ones from suicide and they don't ever have a full picture. But, but I do feel, I feel like anybody going through that kind of, uh, that kind of sadness for yourself, or if you're going through that kind of grief, I just encourage people so much to reach out to a counselor or a priest or, um, my friend is with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and that is AFSP.org. And they have local chapters and all kinds of events. And I just can't encourage people enough. Follow them on Facebook. Um, they just are constantly having conversations to help people uh, understand more about their feelings and what this experience is um because it's hard yeah <laughs> so um I want to go back to when Riley climbed through the window and talked mm -hmm. to the the teenage girl and when I was reading it I thought okay well that was weird that she that she did that but then later on I was kind of thinking Riley is kind of like a teenager herself like she hasn't grown up a lot so I wondered if if it was intentional that she spoke to the teenage girl because maybe she could relate better or talk easier to a teenager because she doesn't want to deal with the heavy stuff. So I'll talk to this teenage girl and we'll keep it light and we'll gossip and, you know, like things like that, you know? So sure. I wondered if that was an intentional kind of thing. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so when Riley climbs into the girl's window, the girl is, uh, she's, she's like, young she's like five or six or something so the oh, she is oh, I thought she was a teenager <laughs> I know, well, she's a teenager no she's a teenager when she's talking about it yeah 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 um, she's a teenager but it was a few years earlier and I might have the numbers wrong it might be eight I don't remember <laughs> oh my gosh um so but the idea was kind of that yeah that it was going to be like warm her up to the experience, you know, that she wanted, she came, she genuinely wanted to see her family. She genuinely wanted to tell them what was going on in her life. Couldn't make herself do it. And then it was kind of like, well, you know, saw the window, saw, knew the little girl was up there and just thought, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to do something really crazy and go up there and just have an easy little giggly chat with the you know little girl and it will be our little secret and then I'll go see the family and she couldn't make herself do it and and there are a lot of 
interesting parallels. You know, even thinking about what that scene looks like, you almost wish that little young Riley had had, you know, some kind of an angel or or a fairy godmother come and visit her and just told her what happened to you is not okay and and I'm sorry and it, you know, and here I'm gonna wave my magic wand and you're gonna be okay. And you know, and and even and even in the way where it's also like someone climbing in your window is really invasive and intrusive and a little dangerous. And that, you know, flip that around as well, that that's the other thing that's happened to Riley is, is things that are invasive and intrusive. And um, people who should have been taking care of her did not take care of her. And uh, so, so I think it kind of works on all of those, all of those levels. You two are good readers, I'll tell you. <laughs> I I told you I had lots of feelings and thoughts about the book. Uh, I really loved it, and like I said, anything that makes me emotional, I I just it stays with me, and that def- and it definitely made me very emotional. Um, because I just and I like you were saying earlier about everybody living in the same house and how they experience grief differently, how they have different experiences, because Riley doesn't remember her mother. But what happened as a direct result of her mother's death had repercussions for her for the rest of her life, you know, and while Colleen and Alex are trying to deal with the suicide aspect Riley's dealing with something completely different as a result of that suicide. And it was just, um, again, like that whole, like how something can haunt you, (laughs) you know, that was a different kind of horrible haunting for her, but you know, that's goes along with that theme. So that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I was wondering, um, and forgive me if I asked you this at the beginning and I'm repeating myself, but to you in your writing, what do you feel like, is a ghost. Oh, what do I feel like is a ghost um, in in my writing? So uh, it's interesting because I wrote something about ghosts for a blog recently, for like a guest blog. Um, and so I'll share with you that my, that well, I love a ghost story, first of all. I just, nothing is more delicious to me than a ghost story. And if it's on TV, I love it. And if somebody tells me, you know, that they were watching TV and then they felt like somebody came and sat next to them and then they looked over and nobody was there. I'm like, tell more, more, tell me more. Um, And uh, and then actually the funny thing is that um, while I was writing this, so my daughter was pretty little and I wasn't talking about ghosts, um, but Somehow through the ether, she um, she has become her own just huge fan of ghost stories. And for a while, a few years ago, she just kept harassing us. She might be in the bathtub or something. And she was like, well, do you have any more true ghost stories? Do you want to be do you have any more? Have you told me all of them? Can you think of any more? And it was like, no, I told you everything we can remember <laughs> for now. Um, so my daughter now, though, uh, you can get her to go places. Well, she she likes going places, but you know how there are the places where your parents drag you to and then the places where you're looking forward to. We 
we have started going to things like ghost tours. Um, and so last weekend or a couple of weeks ago, we went to the Conjuring House in Rhode Island. Oh, I've always wanted to go there. Oh, it's fun. And then after that, we went to the Lizzie Borden House. So we had a whole day of <laughs> amazing ghosty houses and nothing happened, you know, in spooky things happened. Uh, nothing happened to us. Um, but it was walking through a beautiful old New England house and telling ghost stories. I'm like, there's nothing more like, like perfect, perfect family entertainment for us. Um, so I guess I would say that, uh, I just love the idea that, um, are that somehow the past is imprinted on the air and that somehow um, these characters from the past are able to organize the molecules in some way that defies science and then they're able to make themselves seen or heard or experienced and um you know, in an old place. And then it's like you said, with setting and like an old New England house in the middle of a storm. And now here is a ghost. I mean, is there anything more delicious? I can't. Yeah. Think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. My favorite, favorite thing that can happen. Um, and but then, uh, like I said, and now, like you said, I can't remember if I said this already. Um but my challenge was to tell a literary ghost story. So just kind of having, you know, uh, Captain Morgan, you know, with his peg leg stomping through the house, uh, you know, and having somebody be scared and watch them, you know, walk through is like, well, that that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> but I needed it to kind of like rip open their feelings and like show their insight sides and like have it show something about what they're made of and um so that was the kind of ghost that I used instead and and note to listeners I'm not describing it in detail on purpose because of hashtag spoilers <laughs> <laughs> trying to keep this as spoiler free as possible exactly but even if you can collect information from us trying to be vague we still highly recommend reading the book yes. it's so good Yes, Thank it is you. so good. Did you make yourself cry writing it? <laughs> or did you make yourself cry with joy thinking about your readers crying? Yeah, they're going to cry. <laughs> I had a couple of cries. I think when they told the dad, well, gave him the update at the end of the book, I really hated having to tell him, even now getting a little emotional. I really. Did not want to put him through that. The dad was one of my favorite characters, you know, aside from all the other favorite characters. Um, I just love the dad because he's so authentic and he's he's just a guy from a certain era who believed that everybody has the ability to work things out on their own. And he never occurred to him. I mean, it's not like he sort of had a little think about getting everybody therapy. And like, that's just not his style. That's just not how he does things. And, and he 
very suddenly was a widower with three daughters and he's a mailman and he's not a man of literature or poetry or metaphor. He's a guy making a living, um, you know, and doing the best he can to take care of three girls. And he, I feel like he's also, he's done his best kind of getting himself through a lot and he has his ways of being and he has his ways that he's shut down to the world as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but when I had to give him the news, that was, that broke my heart. I didn't want to have to put him through that, but I also felt like realistically he's, he's her dad. I mean, he, he knows, he knows on some level that she's got stuff in her heart. And, um, and even though it breaks his heart, he's, he, he's gonna work it through. And I think he did. I mean, I think he does kind of in the end, he's like, all right, it's time to clean out the ghosts and figure out what the next chapter of life needs to be with also a new family member for him as well. Um, so, so finding hope where, uh, where we can. So that's, yeah, I, I made my, I cried a little bit. <laughs> I liked the dad too. He was one of my favorites. He was oh, just, good. you know, doing his thing, you know, and he did what he could with the resources that he had with the grief that he was experiencing. And I feel like when the, when they were growing up, it wasn't really therapy. wasn't really a thing that was, that was done or talked about, you know? So, I mean, you just kind of pick up and move on is like, you know, like that was the mentality and exactly. Especially in New England. <laughs> especially, especially like a fishing guy from Maine. Yeah. You just uh, pick up and carry on. <laughs> you just pick up and carry on. Have a meal and a beer and move on with your life. And just push the feelings down. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Until you have an ulcer. <laughs> exactly. Uh, do you have anything else about the book that you'd like to share? keep thinking of this one story. It's not really connected to anything we've talked about, but it's a neat story. So I will share it with you one story. So towards um, maybe the last piece of the book, uh, Riley ends up going for a really long walk around New York with Nate, the private detective. And they uh, then they're trying to get to the Williamsburg Bridge to see the sunrise. And um And when I was preparing my final edits, and this would have been um, February of 2020, and I was doing the final edits for the publisher, and and then I was looking at that and thinking, you know what, I've never been to the Williamsburg Bridge. I've never seen it in person. I hadn't even been to New York. I guess I've been to New York, but not by myself in a long time. And, uh, And it was like, you know, I really feel like I ought to see it in person just so I can write kind of accurately about what, how, how do you get onto the bridge and do, you know, and how, what it all looks like and feels like and everything. Um, But if you will recall February of 2020, uh, we were listening to the news and hearing about a virus that was going around. And, uh, and in fact, I think it had been declared a pandemic, but it just hadn't, gotten rooted in New England or or the East Coast yet. And I called my husband on a Thursday and I was like, I have to go to New York 
tomorrow. And he was like, well, then, all right, then, you know, get yourself a ticket and get yourself a hotel room and go. And I was like, I'm not going to touch anything. I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm not going to talk to anybody and I'm not going to breathe. So I'm just going <laughs> to sneak in, check out the bridge and then like sneak back. And that's literally what I did. I went in, I actually went to South Station and there was a, I had heard that CVSs everywhere were out of hand sanitizer and they had like a little mini CVS there. And I went in and I got like a couple of little tiny bottles of hand sanitizer, which like took us through months of, you know, the life over the next few months. Um, but I, you know, I got into New York. I actually had a hotel room with a view of the Williamsburg Bridge, which was really neat. And I made two trips up there, including a trip to see the sunrise. And um, and it was really wonderful. It was really wonderful to get to see it in person. But I would say three or so weeks after that, New York was in a bad situation. And I remember thinking. Uh, oh my goodness, you know, I think, but I think by the time it was there, I was in sort of a safe zone, but it, it felt like a, one of those, it felt like a pilgrimage and it felt like a sort of a desperate, a desperate situation. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> get in, get out. But it was, right. it was so beautiful. It's such a beautiful bridge and it was so good to have that piece of my research kind of rounded out. So that's the last story I'll share with you. <laughs> I do want to make a plug too for the Red Rock Literary Fest that Elizabeth will be part of. And that's November 6th to the 7th. And it's sponsored by the library and Reach Arts. And you will be on a panel discussing fiction and writing and your book. So people should definitely check that out. Um, Materials will be forthcoming for promotion. I'm very excited. Thank you so much. I am too me. <laughs> thank you so much for doing this today. Yeah. Thank you for talking thank with you. us. Thank you both of you. I didn't think I could wait another like month or so to discuss the <laughs> the book with you because like I had so, like I said thoughts and feelings. <laughs> and for yeah. such a sad dreary book, you are an absolute bubbly joy. Yes. To talk to. <laughs> are you working on anything right now? I am. I am. I'm working on um, a book about, well, a book that's sort of about uh, an urban legend that's based in in this town, in Georgetown. Um, and uh, it's it started with the experience that we had a few years ago where there was a little, um, we have several kind of little houses that are like in a state of disrepair where you can't really tell if anybody lives there or not. And one of them is right down the street from me. And when my daughter was starting kindergarten, um, there were suddenly these helicopters overhead. And apparently this little house was being investigated by the FBI because maybe the man who had lived there had killed some teenagers. And uh, (laughs) they set up like an FBI um, forensics unit right outside his house. I mean, it was a big drama. They didn't find anything. But the good news is that in fiction, you can take whatever you find and turn it into whatever you want. So mine has a different a different ending. And then just recently, I kind of got overtaken by the interest to write something a little warmer. So I'm, I'm also I just started what might be kind of like a, a romance-ish 
story based in Maine. So we'll see. That one's newer. <laughs> so two projects on that the- sounds exciting. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's fun. I like murder and I like lovey-dovey Maine stuff. So yeah. They both sound really great. <laughs> True crime is right up my alley, <laughs> as are ghost stories. So yep, mm-hmm. I'm feeling that. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was a delight. Oh, this was fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for being awesome readers and awesome librarians. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. And readers, please check out The Ocean in Winter by Elizabeth DeVere. <laughs> <laughs>